The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is indeed. It is uh, 105. Welcome to your Sunday afternoon edition of the Employment Law Show. Ready to go here. Andrew Goldberg standing by. Uh, ready to answer your calls. 416-870-6400 is the number. Live show under these dark skies this hour in Toronto. Got tornado warnings. Got all kinds of stuff. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. But the show must go on, my friend. We've got a ton of stuff to cover today. And uh, I know, Andrew, you're, you're, you're champing at the bit to get going on this. What you need to know about employment contracts during. COVID-19, that is on the way. But an interesting story you wanted to talk about with the uh, the week that was, pal. How are you? I'm well, yeah, watching it get very dark outside here. <laughs> what a, li- listen, good time to uh, sit back and listen to some uh, employment law help. That's it. But yeah, but yeah the story uh, I wish to speak to today uh, deals with the WE charity. So as many of your listeners might know, <clears throat> the federal government enlisted a charity known as the We Charity mm-hmm. to administer the uh, student program, like the student uh, volunteer grant program. And there were allegations made that, you know, Justin Trudeau had some ties and his family had some yes. ties to this program. Yep. And we're not going to get into the political aspect of things. What's what's kind of interesting from the employment perspective, though, is as a result of these allegations, the federal government and We Charity decided, look, we're not going to go ahead with this. It's better that we just forget about it. But as a result, there were over 450 workers who lost their job uh, with We Charity because they had nothing to work on, obviously. And these workers were either labeled as a fixed term contract, so they were hired for a finite period of time, maybe six months, 12 months, and others were listed as independent contractors. Now, I expect what's going to happen is the We Charity is going to say, look, as contractors, you know, you guys aren't entitled to any severance and uh, get the heck out of here. Sorry, we don't need Mm -hmm. your help. And that's it. But the reality is uh, these contractors, although it might state that on their uh, their employment agreement or they might get paid, you know, without taxes being taken off and with HST being put on. It doesn't right. change the fact that many of these people, we've, you know, this, we've talked about this many times on the show, at law, these people will be considered employees. So here's about 450 people that are very likely going to be considered employees at law, and all of these people are likely going to be entitled to severance. So, um, you know, if this applies to you, if you're labeled an independent contractor, it's, you know, in your job and you lose your job. Don't just look at your agreement and say, oh, it says I'm an independent contractor, so I must be owed nothing. Uh, you know, what's going to dictate whether you're in a contract or an employee is the relationship itself. So if mm-hmm. you work full time or close to full time, if your employer controls what you do, your day to day tasks, your hours of work, how your work is to be performed, etc., gives you the tools. If you get paid consistently time in and time out, it doesn't matter how much profit or loss the company uh, incurs, you're likely an employee and owed severance. So if you're ever let go from an, a job and you're labeled an independent contractor, please make sure you get legal advice to see if you're in fact uh, would be considered an employee at law and, and in fact owed a severance. 
Now, those people you mentioned that could be on a fixed-term contract, meaning they were hired for a certain amount of point. If they, if that contract, say, has another three, four, five, eight months left in it, and they said, uh, you know, here's your hat, what's your hurry, out the door you go, are they not uh, obliged, the Wee Charity, that is, to pay them the outstanding balance of that contract to fulfill it? Yes, John, so absolutely. If you are yeah. subject to a fixed-term contract and that contract is breached from the perspective of the employer says, look, we don't need you for the full duration anymore. We don't need you anymore. Go home, as you've said. Um, it's very likely that you could be entitled to the balance of that contract. And in many cases, the balance of that contract is worth more than your severance would normally be if you were just an employee subject to a regular contract that wasn't a fixed term. So I've dealt with this many times. I've seen, I've had people come to me and they've been in a year, let's say they've been subject to a year long fixed term contract and they're let go one month into the contract. They have a claim for 11 months of pay um, only for working the one month. So you could be entitled to a huge amount of money. Uh, if you're subject to a fixed term contract, certainly that's something you're going to want to have reviewed in the event you're terminated and your contract yeah. terminated. Yeah, I remember having that conversation with Lior a few years ago. He uh, he was he had this, a similar thing with a, with a guy that was a pretty high up uh, fiduciary, a CEO, and he was on a three three and a half year contract. And they uh, they nixed it a couple months in, and they were on the hook for a couple hundred G's worth of, of, of pay. They had to pay them out. They, that's what the contract said. So enjoy your vacation, pal. A little sabbatical for them. But, yeah, it can happen. So uh, be aware of that if you're on such a contract for sure. Look, we got a lot. To, ooh, lightning. Look at that. We got a lot of stuff to get through today, uh, folks. Stand by. The phone lines are open. And uh, my whole house just shook. This is getting a little bit scary. But the phone lines are open, so maybe you can come and you know, hold my hand, ask a question. Uh, 416-870-6400 is the number. Lots more to go. Andrew Goldberg is here to answer your questions the Sunday afternoon edition. Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Sure is. It is a 114 on your Sunday afternoon here, and a rainy one got a little bit of a flash thunderstorm going on. Saw some horizontal rain outside the studio. And as soon as animals start walking by in twos, I'm out of here. But for now, we're good. Uh, phone lines are open, by the way, 416-870-6400, a live show. Andrew here to answer your calls, your questions. Want to reach out through email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And anytime you want to use it, it is yours. It's free. It's anonymous, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of employment law information there for you, including the severance pay calculator. If you ever wondered what you'd be owed, if you did get let go for uh, whatever reason, it's right there at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Okay, what you need to know about employment contracts during COVID-19, as we here in the GTA are still uh, hovering under the uh, the umbrella of stage two. We're not to stage three yet, so COVID-19 far from being over. It could be this way for some time, so still very, uh, very important information. Why are employment contracts important, Andrew? What's going on with that? So, John, something that uh, I hear all the time are people come to me and they say, look, Andrew, I don't have a formal employment contract. I've never signed anything. Is this good? Is this bad? Most people actually think this is a bad thing. They say, well, you know, do I somehow have less rights because I didn't sign something? And the reality is that employment contracts are, in fact, way more beneficial for the employer than the employee because it gives the employer an opportunity to put all kinds of restrictive language 
uh, into your contract that governs the terms of your contract. So it could attempt to limit your severance, it could put a non-compete clause, a non-solicit clause, confidential information, it could say that they can lay you off, it could say they can transfer you locations. So employment contracts are important for employers mainly because it lets them uh, put tons of restrictive language that gives them way more freedom than they otherwise would have. From the employee's perspective, I mean, the importance is uh, it, it allows you to have a clear idea of the terms of your contract, I suppose. So it could have a clear outline of your duties and responsibilities. You could have a really clear understanding of you know, what the implications are of, of certain things when they happen. So clarity would be the most important thing when it comes to uh, why you'd want to have one. But otherwise, they're, they're pretty much just important for the employer to get, let them get away with or attempt to let them get away with all kinds of things that you do not want as an employee. Well, this, I mean, this next point that I'll, uh, this next question, rather, I'll ask you is kind of what most people would think is counterintuitive to what they normally think in life when it comes to, you know, mortgage contracts, marriage contracts, and all that stuff. But so what's better, a handshake deal? Thanks. Here's your job. Start tomorrow. Here's your money. Or like a 15 page agreement that's stapled together? Well, to follow, it kind of just follows up exactly with the last point. And as you said, it's very counterintuitive, but a handshake deal as an employee is yeah. nine and a half times out of 10 far better than a lengthy 10 to 15 page written agreement. Because what people need to keep in mind, and this is the one thing that they usually don't appreciate is, look, if you're hired to do a job, so if you're hired to, um, you know, drive a forklift, let's just say, for example, right? Yeah. And you've been driving the forklift for two years and you get paid $22 an hour and you've, you've been paid that amount for two years, that becomes a term of your contract. I know it's not a written contract, but that becomes a term of your employment. So as soon as you continue to get paid $22 an hour for two years, it doesn't have to be two years, you can get paid $22 an hour for three weeks or four weeks. But as soon as it becomes a repetitive thing that occurs over and over again, that becomes a term of your employment. So the employer can't go back to you and say, look, it doesn't say anywhere in writing we pay you 22 an hour, so now we're gonna pay you 16, right? So there are many things that um, become an implied term of your employment, irrespective of the fact that an employee has never ever signed an agreement. So way, way, way more often than not, a handshake deal is far better than uh, signing a lengthy agreement from the employee's perspective. So basically, if you're looking at it from the employee angle, before we move on to our next question, you start before any sort of contract, you start with all of your rights, all of your, your, uh, your rights intact. And as you sign or get into a lengthy contract, you start to whittle away at your rights. It's not the other way around. You're not building up more protection as you sign a contract. You start robust and you can whittle away some, like you said, you know, um, termination clauses. There might be something about your pay, moving your location, all that stuff. But if you sign nothing, you got the full Monty. You're better off, right? Exactly. So you have the full yeah. Monty. I mean, the only way yeah. that it would benefit you is, is, as you've said, I mean, there'd have to be something in your contract that says, after six months, we give you a 10% raise. And then after another six months, we give you another 10% right. raise. And that happens indefinitely. But I can't tell you, I've read that many <laughs> contracts that right. include any type of language to that effect, right? So yeah. um, unless it's something where 
you kind of have a progressive incentive and you want that mm -hmm. documented. So maybe it's like a bonus type of structure, uh, yeah. you know, maybe an incentive type, any kind of incentive structure where over time or by you hitting targets, you know, increasing targets, you could do better. That's probably the only situation where your entitlements would you know, would become more robust, as you said, right? Otherwise, yeah. you're just limiting your entitlements and that you're letting the employer get away uh, or attempt to get away with all kinds of things that you do not want. What you need to know about employment contracts during this time of COVID-19. We'll get to more of those talking points. And the phone lines are open, by the way, here. We are live. We're waiting for your calls, 416-870-6400. Do you have any questions about severance or your job? Or you're just wondering something about going back to work during COVID-19? Bring it on. Andrew here to answer those questions. 416-870-6400 is the number to call in. Employment Law Show, Sunday afternoon, right here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is uh, 122. We are live. Time for your phone calls. Bring them on. Plenty of time. 416-870-6400. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. You can go to stlawyers.ca to uh, check out the entire website for better contact, past shows, and links to our television show as well. And always free for you to use Pocket Employment Lawyer. As we get back into it, what you need to know about employment contracts during COVID-19 as people start to go back to work as we move through the stages now into stage two, hopefully soon in a few weeks in Toronto and the GTA will be to stage three. There might be a big influx of employers sliding new employment contracts to old employees as they uh, get uh, get back to work. So some of these things you definitely want to have your, your, your ear open to and be aware of. Uh, you know, the courts made a recent decision, Andrew, about termination clauses in Ontario. There you go. What did they do and how does it impact employment contracts past and moving forward? Okay, so John, you, you raised a very good point uh, before we jump into that. You raised a great point yep. that a lot of people are off work from COVID-19. <clears throat> Many of these people are returning to work and they're being asked to sign new contracts, right? However, there's now a second reason why employees are going to be asked to sign a new contract, and that's because the highest court in Ontario uh, just released a decision which pretty much invalidates I would say over 90% of what we call termination clauses that can be contained within contracts, okay? So when we talk about severance on the show, when I've talked about it, when Lior has uh, had the chance to speak about it, any of my colleagues, what we're talking about is your full severance entitlements, okay? Yeah. And what employers try to do, as many of the listeners probably know by now, is they try to sneak in language in your contract that you know, takes away your full severance entitlements and limits you to your minimum severance entitlements. Mm -hmm. So what we do at the firm and what we've done for years is look at these contracts and try to get around the language contained therein. So there are many reasons why a contract is unenforceable with respect to the termination provision, why they, a company can't rely on it. It has to be very specifically worded. The courts are very, very strict about what kind of language they expect, and they've made it very clear what renders a clause unenforceable. So there's now this new decision in Ontario, and it pretty much what it touches on is language that's contained in almost all contracts across the province, and it says that if that language is in your contract, an employer cannot rely on it to limit your entitlements. So what that means is for a bunch of people, if they called us 
maybe two months ago and said, well, are my entitlements limited? The odds of it being limited were far greater than now. Now, because really? of this decision, I would say over 90% of people, uh, they get their full entitlements. And that's why we're talking about contracts today on the show, because we yeah. think, and naturally the, the result of this decision is all of these employers, they're going to go to their counsel and their lawyers are going to tell them, look, because of this decision, you need to give new contracts to all your employees. So we expect that because of this decision, uh, lawyers that represent you know, the company that your listeners may work for, they're going to draft new agreements that are more likely to be enforceable. Your employer is going to come to you and ask you to sign it. And that's why we're wow. talking about contracts today, because we want people to know the you know, we think that many, many, many people are going to be asked to sign these things and they should know that they should absolutely not sign them until they speak to a lawyer. And the quickest way, uh, short term, you want to get some answers now. The phone lines are open. I'm telling you, this is the time to call Andrew and at least, uh, you know, poke the bear, get some questions and move on from there. So you're a little wiser at the end of the show. 416-870-6400 is that number. We got open lines. We are live here at uh, 126 on a Sunday. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address. Can an employer force an employee to sign a new employment contract before they come back from that temporary layoff due to, of course, COVID-19? So this is a very simple question with a simple answer, and that answer is absolutely not. So if yeah. you're off work on a temporary layoff and your employer tells you, all right, we're finally ready to have you return, but before you do so, we need you to sign this contract, absolutely not. You do not need to sign that contract. In fact, I, I urge you not to sign that contract. When employers put a contract in front of you, it, it's for a reason. And yep. you know that reason is they're trying to screw you out of entitlements 99% of the time. Maybe there are some altruistic employers out there, but these are money-driven operations. They're trying to sure. save a buck everywhere possible, especially with COVID-19. So assume that if you're being pressured to do something, it's not for your best interest. If it was for your best interest, you wouldn't be pressured to do it. It would just be your choice, right? So yeah. if that's happening to you, don't sign. Uh, talk to us and uh, at minimum, but definitely, definitely do not sign. There, I would imagine there's, you know, uh, COVID-19, regardless, I mean, people were, people were forced to go off whether they wanted to or not, and they've been off now for several months. Some of them going to be called back very soon. A lot of people are eager to get back. They like their coworkers. They like their colleagues. They like their job. But they may be looking at an, a contract, which we just mentioned, when they walk through the door after that uh, layoff, after the first day. If they think, you know what, I really like the place, I don't want to claim a dismissal, I want to be a company guy, I want to be a good soldier, is there something they need to get if they do look at the contract, decide to suck it up, if the changes aren't too bad, after they have you look at it, of course, is there something they need to get if they sign that contract to make it uh, binding, let's say that? Yeah, so absolutely. So um, in order for a contract to be binding, the employee needs to receive something known as consideration, okay? So... In order for any agreement to be binding, there needs to be an offer, there needs to be acceptance, and something has to pass between the parties. So if an employer puts something before an employee and says, look, we need you to sign this contract, then for that to be enforceable, the employee needs something in return. Usually what we see is an employer will say, here, we'll give you a $500 signing bonus if you sign this thing, or we'll give you a raise from $28 an hour to $29.50 something right. in return for them to um for their for their signature which would render the thing enforceable otherwise it would not be a binding contract at all 
Going to get to some phone calls here in a moment. It is uh, 416-870-6400. That is the number to call in. Can employment agreements be negotiated? And if they can, should the employee themselves try that or get someone like you involved? Well, that's a great question, and and that's going to be very, very situational, okay? So I do contract reviews all the time. Someone comes to me, they say, Andrew, I just got offered this position and this role. What do you think of the contract? And I review the Mm -hmm. contract with them, and I say, you know, here are the five things that I see as a concern. You know, this is going to attempt to limit your severance. This is going to limit what you're able to do in the event you're terminated or resigned. There's a lot of non-compete language. So, you know, if you work in a certain industry, sometimes there's language in the contract that says, you know, for 12 year, 12 months rather after, you know, your termination or after your resignation, you can't work for any of our competitors in the same field, right? So there's right. all kinds of things that I see and I flag for people. But whether or not you're gonna negotiate this is up to you because it's all about everyone's individual risk tolerance, right? So, you know, if someone, if a company has 10 viable candidates for a job and you're their number one candidate, but you know, the second person's pretty close, if you keep, if you start pushing back a lot, at some point they might say, ah, forget it, let's just move on to the second person, yep. right? Sure. So. That's just going to be very situational. For some people, things are non-negotiable, and I tell them, you know, A, B, and C, and they're like, A, absolutely cannot happen. I won't take the job, and by all means, they should negotiate that. They could retain me or one of my colleagues to negotiate that, and it's also going to depend on how much leverage they have. If you're in a very specialized position and there aren't that many applicants that can do what you do, you're obviously gonna have a lot more leverage to negotiate the contract than than a more general role where there's tons and tons of potential applicants. So that's gonna be very situational. If you're interested in negotiating it, by all means, I think at minimum, you should have you know someone from our firm review the contract and then you can decide on your own, do you wanna negotiate or do you wanna retain us to do so? We'll take a short break, get to some phone calls. Uh, Kevin, Michael, see you guys. Stand by. Don't go anywhere. We will get to you and your phone calls as well. 416-870-6400. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca, the email address. It's the Employment Law Show coming right back on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It sure is. It is 1.32 Sunday afternoon edition. Andrew Goldberg here answering your uh, questions. Might get to some emails later on. We're talking about co- co- pardon me, contracts coming back and how they do with uh, COVID-19. First, though, as always, callers, top priority. Mike, thanks for, uh, for standing by. Good afternoon. How are you? Hey, good afternoon. I'm well and uh, inside, looking at the storm. No kidding. No kidding. What's Um, up? Quickly, so everybody else can get on. Uh, I've been working for a courier company for nine years, and uh, the pay structure is as follows. I get a minimum guaranteed daily, and the rest is made up of commission. And during the beginning of the pandemic, they laid me off for a little over two weeks with zero pay. And they told me they're going through a really, really hard time. So uh, I understood. I had a little money saved up, all good. And when I got rehired, I noticed on my pay stub that the commission base was reduced. Hmm. So when I asked them about that, they said, well, we're still going through a hard time. You're an essential service. You're a good employee. We want to keep you. We'll make it up to you in the future. Fair enough. And zero commission. So I was basically making $50 a day. And I said, I can't live on that. 
so they, they suggested that I take advantage of the various government programs available, and I did exactly that. So when that runs out, uh, what are my options, and uh, is this uh, a good thing to uh, agree to? Hey, so Michael, thank you very much for calling. Uh, your situation is very, very common, so this is something we hear all the time, okay? Yep. So you, your, your employer absolutely had no right to cut your pay and also eliminate your commissions, okay? That's unless there's something in your contract that allows them to do that, which I highly doubt. Um, I, didn't sign it. I didn't sign anything. Exactly, so go. I would say absolutely not. They have no right to do that, okay? So okay. as a result of this situation, you have one of two options, okay? Option one is you can claim something called constructive dismissal. Because they had no right to do what they did and cut your pay in the manner that they have, you could treat your employment as being terminated and you can pursue a severance, okay? Yep. Option number two is if you don't want to go down that road, it seemed uh, from the beginning of your question that you did sympathize with the company to some degree that they weren't doing well, right? So if you, if you don't want to go down that road, what's going to be very important is that you put in writing to the company uh, that, you know, I might agree to this situation for X period of time. Like, I understand things aren't going well. Like, I, you know, I'll agree to get this much pay for the next two months and, and supplement my earnings with the CERB. That being that's said... That's exactly what I've been doing, yeah. Perfect. But that being said, you want an end date in sight and you want to make it very clear that at, as of the end date, you expect your pay to be reverted to what it previously was, that you do not agree that this is a permanent thing and that at some point in the future, and you want to make it very clear when that point is, you expect your pay goes back to 100 cents on the dollar and that you get your commissions as you have for whatever uh, period of time they, you they did They did agree to it verbally more than once. Yeah, so put it in writing. Will do. Put it in writing. That's going to be critical. And, okay? uh, and if, you're... if that doesn't happen, then can I pursue a dismissal, a construct dismissal claim after the CRB runs out and uh, I have no other recourse? By all means, you, you may, but you want to still, you want to make everything very clear in writing. So that's going to be critical no matter what you do, okay? So put Will it do. in writing, say, say, this is my expectation. On this date, I expect it to go back. And if I don't hear from you, I assume that you don't take any issue with this at all. And once that day comes, if they don't put your pay back to what it was, give us a call. We'll connect you with one of our legal professionals and we'll discuss you pursuing a claim for uh, constructive dismissal and, and going after your severance there, okay? Michael, appreciate the call. Here is that number to reach out. If you don't know it already, one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 That's the number to put you in touch with Andrew and the rest of his team at the at the firm there as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, by the way, is the email address. Moving on to Kevin. Kevin, thanks for standing by, fella. How are you? Uh, super fantastic. How are you? Beautiful. Ready for your uh, ready for your question, man. What's up? So here's the, here's the situation. Uh, a friend of mine, she works in a pharmacy, uh, been like a lab tech or whatnot for about three, three and a half years. Uh, Part-time worker, generally doing about, you know, 25 to 35, an average of 30 hours a week, in, uh, week in and week out. Enter the age of COVID, um, then went into uh, basically laid off, and then due to situations was forced into a two-week quarantine. Um, now the problem was uh, where they were currently living, uh, 
they were living with somebody who was high risk. Uh, so the employer demanded that they move to a new location, like residency, like move their house and, and find an apartment uh, away from this high risk person. This person asked their employer for uh, a job letter uh, to confirm employment. The, the employer said, no, that would be unfair to the rest of the employees. Found, uh, anyways, found a, an actual new place to live. Uh, and now that what the employer has done is basically slash the hours to under 10 hours a week and sometimes can't even get a hold of the employer. Uh, so I'm just wondering what sort of recourse, what sort of action, and is this basically even, oh, I know it would be considered a constructive dismissal, but is that is that it? Uh, hi, Kevin. So just to clarify, your friend was living with someone who was high risk in, in the sense that if that person uh, contracted COVID-19, they would suffer from, you know, serious uh, side, you know, symptoms from that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like her mother, she lived with her mother, had COPD. Okay. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, this person had no obligation to begin with to move. Um, if this person thought it was a concern that she lived with her mother, that would be on her to say, look, I, I'm not comfortable going to work right now. Here's a doctor's note that says my mother's very ill and it's too risky for me to come in. But by no means can the employer have compelled your friend to have moved in the first place. I find that very odd. I've never heard anything like that at all. Um, and uh, yeah, and now the fact that they've had this individual move and take on a new you know, expense. I assume they're paying rent or to, to some degree in this new place and now cutting hours. I mean, that can be considered a very bad faith dealing. Uh, so not only can you can, can you treat this as a your friend treat this as a constructive dismissal, but it's it's possible that they go after the employer for, uh, you know, da additional damages for the bad faith manner in which uh, she was asked to move which the employer had no right to do in the first place, and then only to find out once she moved, she wasn't going to get hours anyway. So you're saying punitive damages? It's possible, yeah. I mean, I would need a little bit more information. I would need to probably see the communication and get a better sense of exactly what was said. But based on what you're telling me, yeah, for sure, there could be some exposure for additional damages, absolutely. I've never heard anything like that. I find that very perplexing. Uh, situation. I, I, have n I have no idea why the employer would do that. Everything is documented over email over the span of the last six weeks. And um, currently, uh, her spouse is working with you guys already in an unrelated issue. So I'll get her to give you guys a call. Yeah, it never hurts. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. Brand, stand, uh, stand by. You are up next. So just hang on through a quick break here. We'll get right back to it and plenty of time for your phone call as well. 416-870-6400, Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 144 on your Sunday afternoon here, 416-870-6400. The number to call in, ask Andrew your questions, get some quick answers. You want to uh, follow up afterwards, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you can always use pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. That website is absolutely free and anonymous. Brand, thanks uh, so much for standing by. How are you? Great, great. Thank you for uh, for uh, having me on and great show. Uh, avid listener, avid listener. 
Um, Thank you. My daughter owns a small restaurant that's been reopened about six weeks, and because of the wage subsidy, she has skeleton staff, and she's working, you know, uh, at least a shift, probably a shift and a half. Um, she never was on the payroll uh, because she took dividends. Not that there were ever dividends. A small restaurant. Can she put herself on payroll and be part of the wage subsidy, or are owners precluded from doing that? Hey, Bran, great question. So this is something we, we also hear all the time. Uh, this is going to be very specific, so I'll try to give you some general uh, pointers here, but, but I would recommend that your daughter give us a call so we can get more information if she really wants more of a, a pointed, specific answer, okay? Okay. Um, yep. At minimum, you, you hit the nail on the head. In, in order to receive the wage subsidy or qualify for the wage subsidy, it only applies to eligible employees. So number one, she would have to make herself an employee um, as of a certain date, right? So she can't, I, I don't believe she can do that retroactively for the previous pay, uh, claim periods, okay? Right. Number two, my understanding, and again, it's a very complex regulation, so I would need to get further information, but my understanding is Dividends are not considered eligible remuneration, so only salary is. I believe the wage subsidy is, it is possible for you as an owner to qualify for the wage subsidy and pay yourself as an owner ma manager um, the subsidy. However, you would have to receive salary, not dividends, okay? So okay. That, that is fundamental. So you hit the nail on the head there, but if she could in fact qualify to get it herself for her own work um, as an employee or manager owner, as it's defined in the legislation, uh, right. she it would only apply going forward and she would have to pay herself a salary. So I would recommend, you know, I would need further information from her to kind of make a concrete assessment. I do believe it is possible. Uh, I'm pretty certain that it is possible, but I would need more info from her and we, we would need to narrow down what period of time she wishes uh, to get this coverage for, okay? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she will get hold of you, but basically, the answer is yes, as long as it's on a qualified date, yes. As long as she only goes on payroll, say from June 15th, she can't go anywhere further back when she did start working, uh, because then you claim that in another couple of months, apparently, or a couple of weeks. So she can't claim before that when they open, but from when they open, she can claim if, she, if she's been on payroll with the rest of the staff. Uh, yes, I believe that it would be at the time she was put on payroll. So she can't, yeah. if she's not on payroll as of today, she can't retroactively, my understanding, no. put herself on payroll, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, tell her to give us a call. If she wants to call me directly, she can find me on the website, uh, andrew.goldberg at stlawyers.ca. She can talk to anyone at our firm. Uh, we, we would definitely be happy to help, okay? But we definitely appreciate you. you being an avid listener and, uh, and, and appreciate <laughs> the call. Okay, thanks. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brian. Enjoy the uh, the rest of your weekend. Again, that phone number, uh, 416-870-6400 to call in just like Brian. See how quick it is to get some answers. So uh, use the last uh, few minutes of the show here to do that. Uh, in between, that's some emails coming up here. And what you need to know about employment contracts during COVID-19, always a uh, hot topic, has been for the last three or four months anyway. So I've been fired. Uh, I have an employment contract. What should I do? Well... I mean, the relevance here would be, uh, okay, so the, the real, real true relevance as an employee who's been fired with a contract is, is there any way that your employer is attempting to limit your severance by relying on the contract? So if you okay. work somewhere for 20 years and your, your employer is saying, look, you signed this contract in 2018 
and we can limit your severance to the minimum entitlements. Therefore, we're only giving you eight weeks of pay, which could be that person's minimum entitlements, right? Um, and then they say, well, your minimum entitlements are eight weeks, but we'll toss you as a good faith gesture. We'll give you another six weeks if you sign this release here that right. says you'll never sue us for anything ever again, right? That is the precise moment where you want to go call our firm, give us a call, have someone review that contract. As I said earlier in the show, as a result of that new decision from uh, Ontario Court of Appeal, the highest court in the province, um, I would say over 90% of these contracts cannot limit someone's entitlements. So do not take that extra six weeks. Absolutely do not sign any severance package until you've had a chance to review the package with the lawyer and given them the opportunity to review your contract. So that is going to be fundamental. I'm going to get to our uh, last break here, man. Then we'll go straight through with some emails. You want to send an email along. In the meantime, you can do so. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And still got time for a phone call as well. 416-870-6400. Right back to it after a break. As mentioned, Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back indeed. 152 as we uh, go till just close to 2 o'clock. So if you're going to call, do it now. 416-870-6400. Andrew here to answer your questions. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And a reminder, even the times when we're not on air, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Wonderful website. Absolutely free. And Anonymous, Janet, up first with her email, says, Guys, I'm still on temporary layoff, waiting to be called back to work. My employer said that they're still uh, still waiting for the right time, but I know that some of my coworkers have already been brought back. What are my rights here? So Janet's question is probably the most common question that we hear yeah. right now. Um, you know, as things have improved, but there's still many, many people out there that are still on a layoff, right? And a lot of these people are watching their coworkers getting recalled and they're saying, what the heck, when is my time? And to Janet, her rights are as follows. Number one, she can pursue a claim for constructive dismissal. She can take the position that the employer never had the right to lay me off in the first place. And I'm going to treat that as the termination of my employment. I'm going to pursue a severance. And whether or not she's able to do that will depend on if she ever, as you know, we've been discussing the whole show, whether she signed a contract that therein it says the employer can put her on a temporary layoff. Almost all contracts do not have that language and therefore Janet can pursue a constructive dismissal claim and go after her severance. Uh, in the alternative, she can, she can keep waiting and wait around and, and see when she's going to be recalled back. But if she does that, she needs to make it very clear to her employer that she expects to be recalled soon and that she didn't agree to this layoff by any stretch of the imagination. You don't want the employer to think by you, you know, sitting around and not acting on it that you've somehow agreed to it through your silence, right? So you do want to make it clear you've not accepted the layoff and that you expect to be recalled soon. Otherwise, give us a call and we'll pursue a claim for you for your severance package. That number, by the way, to reach out to uh, Janet, one 855 stlawyers.ca. You can go to that website as well. You're going to love Leo's note. Leo says, guys, I've just been fired from a job that I had for almost 25 years. 
doesn't give his age, but says I was offered a severance package worth seven months of my regular pay. When I told HR that this seemed very low, she said that employees are not entitled to as much severance right now because of the financial impact COVID-19 is having on companies. Is that true? Also, should my severance include my overtime pay? I've worked at least 55 hours a week for the last 15 years. I even worked overtime in the last three months. Thanks. Wow. Wow. Yeah, definitely. So great question from Leo. Um, So the first part of the question is, you know, the employer is ostensibly saying, look, you might be owed more than seven months of severance. And I know we don't know Leo's age. And we talk about the show all all the time that your severance is based on your age, your length of service, Mm -hmm. your position, all those kind of things. But you can safely assume that with 25 years of service, this guy's severance is worth more than seven months of pay. Okay. That being said, his first question is as follows, you know, my employer's not doing well right now. They're telling me, look, uh, if, because we're companies aren't doing well, severance entitlements have decreased somehow. Is this true? Uh, absolutely not. This is so far from the truth. Uh, it's, you know, you can, you can take, uh, you can rest assured that this has absolutely no impact on your entitlements, Leo. Your entitlements to severance is based on your personal situation, your right. length of service, your pay, your job, right? So it's an interesting question, though. I mean, from a kind of an equitable standpoint, but from a legal standpoint, absolutely not. Your severance entitlements are not impacted by any financial troubles that the company may be having. Okay. Um, And then I believe the second part of the question. Yeah. So Leo also received of overtime. Yeah. So with respect to overtime, it's, you know, when you were talking about your severance, if you've consistently worked overtime for the, I think he said the last 15 years, he's worked yep. 55 hours a week. Uh, and he even says that that includes the last three months. So that's during this COVID-19 period, he still was working overtime. Then yeah, he would certainly be entitled to overtime pay for the uh, severance period as well. So not only would he be entitled to his regular wages, he'd be entitled to what he would have earned had he continued to work, what he's earned in the past. And if that means he's worked 55 hours a week, including overtime pay, his severance should absolutely include um, the overtime pay as well. So Leo has a lot of money that he could uh, receive here by initiating a claim or going after the company. And he absolutely should do so because he's leaving tons of money on the table here if he accepted the seven-month offer. want to get Arvid's um, email here quickly. Got about uh, two minutes to answer this one, but I think he could pull it off, my friend. says, because of uh, COVID-19, my employer does not currently have full-time hours for me. He is suggesting that I work some hours, make slightly less than 1000 bucks a month while also collecting the CERB. I'm not necessarily opposed to this for now, but if I start working occasional part-time hours, could this have negative impacts on my employment going forward? I do want to return to full-time sometime sooner than later, however. Yeah, so we'll get to this very quickly. Very quickly, um, it could have impacts on your, his future employment if he doesn't make it clear that he's only agreeing to this temporarily. So as we, uh, I believe it was Kevin who called before, um, or one of the callers called before talking about something similar. Um, if, if your pay is being cut and you will agree to it temporarily, make it very clear in writing that you only agree to this temporarily. And further, in the event that your employment is terminated while on this reduced pay, that your severance will be based on your full pay. So you want to put both these things in writing. 
Done. Nicely done, sir. And thank you for your phone calls and emails. Appreciate the correspondence every show. We'll leave it for now. You want to reach out to Andrew, Lior, member of their team. It's one 821 5900 Email address we use every show is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And always consult pocketemploymentlawyer.ca 24-7. It's like having a lawyer in your pocket at all times. And if not that, give them a call at any time as well. We'll catch you next time on the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.